I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We finally made it work. How are you, right? I'm doing really well, yeah. Coach Cavanagh here. I am on Straight Talk with the one and only Mark Boris, and we're going to talk all things Wimp to Warrior fighting, improving yourself physically, mentally. Let's do this. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> John Cavanagh, um, welcome to what we call Straight Talk here in Australia. And, um, you know, I. I I'm, I'm in the business of talking to people in business, whether you're a self-employed person like one of your mentorees, let's call him um, Conor McGregor. Um, you're a small business owner, like I'm a small business owner. I mean, I guess your business has grown to be a large business, well-known business. And you're in the business of fitness and gyms and uh, no better person to speak to on, on the, the occasion of COVID affecting the world, particularly gyms, than someone like yourself. So welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a great honor to be invited on. I got to declare right from the very beginning because you know, we have to play the game right. I have an interest in the business that John is a co-founder of um, and, and obviously a shareholder of, and it's a, a business called Wimp Tomorrow Warrior. And I do want to talk about it a bit later because that's actually an important part of what you do and, and it's an important part of what I believe in. So we'll talk about Wimp to Warrior a little bit later. But I guess I really want to talk about John Kavanaugh to start with. You have your your fame to some extent or your gym's fame to some extent, SBG, the gym there in, in Ireland and, and all the other things you do to some extent is a, gets, gets a, a lot of awareness out of the Conor McGregor program. But what's really important to me is who the hell is John Kavanagh? Because Conor McGregor became Conor McGregor as a result to some extent of John Kavanagh and the gym that John Kavanagh runs and what John Kavanagh believes in. So I want to talk about that and how does it, what's it like to run a small business like that and have someone so giant in the world as as McGregor. So let's go back. John Kavanagh, where, which part of Ireland are you from, mate? I'm from Dublin. You're Dublin. You're a Dublin boy. I didn't know this, and but I've sort of became aware of it. Now, Dublin's a pretty tough joint. You know, tough things happen in Dublin. It's, it can get a bit on the edge. I mean, there is that, that. I watched a really funny, funnily enough, I watched a really interesting series called Love Hate. Which is oh, uh, an Irish. It's a brilliant series. Like I, I was addicted to it. Right, and it's about Irish gangsters and, uh, yeah. and the shit they did. And it was it was pretty full on. I didn't realize Ireland could be so violent and so full on. Um, yeah, it's it th- that world tends to stay within that world. You know, like we we do have unfortunately regular ish gangland killings in in Dublin and surrounding areas, but it tends to be one gangster killing another gangster it do, there's not too much spilling over into regular life thankfully but uh yeah sadly like a lot of um big cities around the world we have you know there's drug issues and and so on so there's always going to be factions trying to fight for the um i guess the, the big areas to sell in and, and that's what it tends to be is is, is teenagers and guys in their 20s you know, sadly falling off the right track and getting sucked into these gangs and and and, and it doesn't end well. Because the, the tradition of fighters in, in, in Australia, the tradition, not so much in the last five, five or 10 years, but prior to that, all the great fighters like Jeff Fennick and Anthony Mundine, a lot of them, a lot of them has been, they've come from the wrong side of the tracks. 
and 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 a lot of them actually have not underworld but like gangster associations like we have bikies in australia and all sorts of things like that and they tended to infiltrate the fight game here the, at least the boxing game not so much the ufc or the mma game but definitely the the boxing game is that something that you you experience like in your gym environment in ireland and in dublin i mean and is that where you came from or you come from a different environment um, yeah, I didn't come from that boxing scene. There was there was actually quite a high profile shooting at a boxing weigh-ins a couple of years ago, which which more or less ended the pro boxing scene in Ireland, because um, unfortunately that that side of the sport had been badly riddled with the cancer that is um, you know gangland uh, violence and so on. And um, the amateur scene is very different. The amateur boxing scene is still you know it's world championships and Olympics and clean living and still boxing is providing that great service that they're, you know, every, every working class area in Dublin has, if not one, probably a couple of, of, of boxing uh, gyms. And you, you just hear the usual hundreds, if not thousands of stories of, of kids that, that, that kind of dangerous middle teens age where they're going to go one way or the other. And they just sort of fell in love with boxing and, and um, you know, have gone on to either do great things in, in the amateur scene, and then you know they're in their mid twenties by the time they're wrapping it up, and they're somewhat safe. You know, you're out of that danger period of your life. I came from more martial arts, uh, karate, kickboxing. That was more my uh, world um, in my teens, and then in my late teens, I saw UFC one, and then from then on, it was anything MMA related. And I did do a little bit of boxing, but n not a whole lot. It was more grappling, wrestling, jujitsu, kickboxing. That was, that was kind of my scene. And did you, why did you do that? Well, I mean, why did you do MMA or, or, or kickboxing or jujitsu or any combination of those things? What was in it for you? What was your deal? So I, I got um, really where it all began was I got badly uh, beaten up when I was about 18. And in front of my girlfriend, it was a very, uh, very traumatic time of my life I look back at it now and I could see I was you know I was, went into depression over it and I felt all my confidence was gone and I start searching around for different self-defense systems that I felt would give you know I'd be able to fight off three or four guys outside a nightclub and walk home with my girlfriend and um, I realized now what I was looking for was something to give me my confidence back I happened to come across a video a VHS you and I will remember those yeah. anybody else listening you'll have to google that I saw Hoist Gracie uh, win UFC one quite easily. And what straight away appealed to me was, is that first of all, he was the smallest guy in the, this was when it was open weight, but he looked, he reminded me a little bit of me. He looked like a kind of a quiet meek guy. There was no bravado about him. He wasn't some kind of big muscle guy that I, I didn't feel I could relate to. I felt I could relate to him and I could see, I didn't understand what he was doing, but I could see there was a strategy to what he was doing. He didn't go in and swing wild punches and, you know, hopefully one connects or maybe he's going to get hit. He had a very specific strategy that he was executing and that kind of appealed to my somewhat I'm a nerdy math engineering mind. So I saw that that's, if he can do that, then I can learn it. Fast forward a couple of years and um, I put myself in some scenarios, like I did some fights, I did, I did door work for a couple of years so that I would be <laughs> somewhat uh, forcing myself to use the techniques and see how... And then by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was kind of done with all that. And I realized I'd got what I was searching for. And that was self-confidence. Mar mixed martial arts gave me self-confidence. Some people get it through uh, public speaking or, or, or um, dancing or weightlifting or whatever. For me, the vehicle was mixed martial arts. It was fantastic for me. And then in and around about that time, I, I happened to get a group of real kind of motivated, self-starting, somewhat obsessive young athletes in their mid-teens and Connor being one of them. And suddenly the sports side of what I was doing started to become a little bit more important. It's, it's kind of almost hard to imagine how small mixed martial arts was in Ireland in 2000, 2001, 2002. Maybe not a whole lot different than Australia, to be honest. It was very much a fringe sport. And if, if, you, were, if you were around 20 years ago, there was no thought in the back of your head like, oh, this is a career. I can, I can you know, have, have a big gym or I can train a, a squad of fighters because even the guys making you know, cha championship fighters back then were not making much money at all. So I never really had a plan in my head that like, okay, this is going to be a career. It was very accidental that it all just kind of happened. But I got this group of, uh, of young guys uh, 
young guys and girls that were very, very uh, enthusiastic. And I'm a little bit obsessive about things and they were a little bit obsessive about things. And we just got quite good, quite fast because it was all we did. It was all we talked about. It was all we thought about. And we did very well on the national scene. And then we started traveling to Europe. And then, you know, for Connor, it was 2013. So what's uh, eight years ago, he had his UFC debut. And then here I am talking to you. So I guess things have gone well. Well, yeah, but like, maybe you're being a bit modest there, but um, you're, you also have a degree in mechanical engineering. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, sir. And, uh, and uh, you mentioned mathematics. Um, obviously, mathematics plays a big part in something like that. Why is it? you decided to go into a gym and you didn't become a mechanical engineer <laughs> or did you, or yeah. were you a mechanical engineer for, for a while? Much, much to my parents, um, sadness, <laughs> but, uh, I, I started, I pretty, I started getting more and more serious about MMA basically year one in uni. And it took me five years to get my degrees. When I graduated, I was like, I guess I was, um, 24 maybe. And I figured I'd give it a year. You know, I opened up a, basically around about a 40 or 50 square meter. It was a garage at the back of somebody's house where like the roof was coming in and there was no toilet and it was like proper freezing cold in the, during the Irish winter, which is about nine months long. So it was, it, was, it was pretty tough. And I figured that if it didn't work out after a year that I could, you know, get a real job. Because well, you, you had a backup plan. You had a university degree. Was your backup I plan? I did. I, I had a good degree, and um, I had I'd actually gotten I had gotten pretty close to working for um, Boston Scientific in the R and D department. I got down to the last two in a fairly major interview process, which would have had me emigrating to Boston. You know, it's one of those kind of your your life goes in two paths, and there's Man. a the 44 year old John Cavanaugh in Boston with a couple of kids and, <laughs> and a family. And, totally and you'd have one of those jackets with a uh, patch on the sleeve. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, well, <laughs> and, and, well, I find that sort of quite fascinating because I mean, I, I think the, uh, the guy is it Eugene from um, Auckland gym, a uh, city gym in Auckland. He's a lawyer and he's got one. Oh, of, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's one of the big successful gyms um, as well. Um, obviously. He has oh, he's a, yeah. I didn't realize um, he was a lawyer. And it's interesting to see people with professions sitting at the back of them go into, like, gym. I mean, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big crossover. And I can imagine I'm a parent. I've got four sons. I can imagine I'd be saying to my sons, what are you doing? You've just done a university degree. Case in Australia, we have to pay for it. And I don't know what the deal is over there, but we have to pay for this. So I'd be saying, like, you know, what the fuck? You know, why aren't you, why are you doing something in that regard? Because gyms are a pretty tough gig. I mean, they aren't easy to, aren't easy to run. Thing. I've got a gym here, and I have an interest in gym here in Sydney, and it's a it's a pretty hard gig. So say someone like you, I mean you, you know you you're learning um, jujitsu and you're learning um, the MMA, and you learn, and as I'm saying, you're the first black belt Irish, first person I think at a BJJ black belt. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, you know, right. So you, you you're studying this sort of stuff. You're studying for your mechanical engineering degree. How much of your way of thinking, in other words, your thought process as a mathematician, mechanical engineer, or an engineer generally, because engineers think a certain way with the greatest respect. Yeah. How much of that did you use and apply to running your business and and or learning how to become proficient at MMA? I mean, how much of your thought process was influenced by your university degree? Yeah, a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly jealous of Eugene. I think be, being a lawyer would have been a lot more useful <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not that wasn't my road um but certainly uh, engineering teaches you how to learn and and that was important for me because when i started brazilian jiu-jitsu there was nobody doing it in ireland i was pretty much the first one to do it i was very lucky that, that i met a great judo player andy ryan and I, I, he happened to be very good on the ground as well like most judo spend most of their time just on the throws there's not a huge amount on the ground he he was exceptional on the ground as well so that i was lucky with that but even just putting the lesson plans together and, and, and how to get a group of people from, from, you know, level one to level two. Like I have no, I had no background. I had no sports science degree. I, 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 I hadn't played sport myself at any level we're talking about. So all of that had to be kind of learned from first principles. And certainly, uh, like I said, engineering, you know, it's, it can be quite general 
when you graduate as a mechanical engineer, you can end up in, in numerous fields. So I believe what they aim to do is, is to teach you how to learn. So no matter what you go into, you can pick it up quite quickly. And that's what that I felt that was a, certainly a help for me at the beginning. You said there about a, applying it to my business. I would be honest and say I wouldn't have considered myself a businessman until even until maybe three years ago or four years ago. I was obsessive about sport. I was obsessive about how to get people skillful as quickly as possible and trying to learn the other areas, including, you know, nutrition, strength and conditioning and so on. And it wasn't until my late 30s that my own coach, Matt, started really pressuring me to apply some of that effort and attention towards ensuring that I had a decent business. I was, um, I was still single, no kids into my late 30s. Um, and then I met someone and started getting serious. I wanted to be able to buy a house and buy my gym, buy the building that my gym is in and, you know, start getting a bit more uh, my feet, you know, a bit more real <laughs> and start, you know, having some sort of plan if, 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 te- if whatever was to happen with MMA happened and, you know, at least have a stable gym, a stable, you know, gym running as a, as a stable business. Like you would find it probably, I don't know what way you'd find it, whether hilarious or terrifying if you spoke to most MMA gym owners about just how little interest they have <laughs> and how things they're going in the gym. You were to ask them very simple questions. Like for me, it was my coach saying, okay, well, last month, how many inquiries did you get? And of those inquiries, how many became appointments? And of those appointments, how many became full-time members? And I would just shrug my shoulders. And I don't know. But there seems to be a good group of people in there training at the moment. So thumbs up. Um, whereas I had no idea about, you know, my churn rate of 50 people join in January and many of those are still there in December. So all of that started becoming very interesting to me then because it was learning a new skill. Again, I do know how to learn something. I know that you have to make a lot of mistakes quickly and get, get over that ego. So I can apply that to learning guitar. I can apply it to learning business. I can apply it to learning a new language. It doesn't matter for me. It's all the same. There's a process. And that's what I've been trying to get good at the last few years. And then I've been very, very lucky becoming closer and closer with Nick Langton. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a, I would describe like yourself, a black belt in that world. And I'm, I'm maybe a lowly blue belt. And um, he's a very patient mentor. And he, he takes his time explaining all the, TLAs, three-letter acronyms about what all the, what all these business terms. So it's been a very actually interesting uh, period for me these last few years. So learning, learning from my point of view. I mean, I often say this to people who are in business. I mean, one of the most important things you've got to keep learning, and, and quite frankly, it's about learning how to learn, which you learned at university, which you would have had to practice at university. And a lot of people don't get that opportunity, but learning how to learn, but also learning in itself and having learning as an outcome like learning about your your skill or your business. Um, I often say that in one of the themes, it seems to me from some of the research I've done in relation to you, is that, is that um, you want your the people who come into your gym, you want them to learn. It's not just coming in to fight or to wrestle or just to get fit. It is about a learning journey. I mean, is that is that a theme of your gym of your and also of your charges, the people that you are in charge of, the people you're looking after? Connor, for example. From what I can see, from what I've read, you're trying to make him be good at learning about his craft and everything about his craft, not not just about how to wrestle or how to strike, but everything about his craft. Yeah, so, I mean, at, at the start, um, you are teaching people how to hold their hands. You know, I, I know you do a little bit of boxing, so you certainly have to learn those fundamentals. They're you know, if you walk in and, and that you hold your hands this way, you're not going to get too far. So there's, there's certain things you have to do. And then after that, I believe the real role of the coach is to get out of the student's way, that you let their personality start to come out. And that's what we would call style in fighting. Connor has a very distinctive style. I have a fairly big-ish roster, like Eugene. And you could pick five of his top guys and the five of them fight in completely different ways. However, they will have the fundamentals of their striking stances. They will have the fundamentals of the positions on the ground. And then I'm, I'm sure Eugene would agree, you, you have to somewhat uh, cut the reins and let them off and let them experiment. And I think the role of the coaches is that we have to set up a gym environment where it is safe to fail. 
that's what I tried to do early on is get them failing fast, but failing up towards success, failing up towards improving rather than failing down towards quitting because it's, you know, the, either the challenges I'm setting them are too hard or their ego just can't take it. Whereas if you've learned early on and jujitsu is a great vehicle for this is that you learn how to tap, you know, you get caught in an arm lock and a choke and it's, it's kind of a really fun game because although an arm lock could be a devastating technique in a, in a self-defense situation, you break someone's arm in the gym environment, you tap, you smile, you say, okay, motherfucker, I'm going to get you next time. And then you go again, you know, it's a lot of fun. And so that kind of teaches you early on that failing, quitting, tapping, losing is all very healthy. In fact, it's, it's kind of, you know, Connor would say it's the hidden secret towards success is that the quicker you can get good at failing and, you know, obviously learning from that and then going back in and the quicker you're going to be successful. It's, it really is that simple. You wrote a book, you, you, you authored a book and it was a bestseller, as I understand, called Win or Learn. I mean, is that the, th- the theme? Is that what you're talking about here? You're either going to win or you're going to, if you're failing, you're losing, you've got to learn from that. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the worst thing ever would be to come out from a loss and instead of learning from that, like I have such a great example um, with Connor because he fought the same guy twice in a relatively short period of time, only about four months apart. And in the first one, he lost quite, um, you know, he got finished quite quickly. And then four months later, he was able to come back in and beat the same guy. And that, that, that to me was a pretty incredible achievement from him. And, you know, if I was to take 1% of that, I would say that's really um, the philosophy of the gym in action. It'd be easy to walk out of a loss like that and start pointing fingers. Well, I didn't get the win because this guy didn't prepare me right. Or, you know, the sun was rising with, Sagittarius in the background or something come up with some BS reason why you lost instead of just going I'll take that one on the chin I had a bad strategy here or I didn't train the right way or whatever it is but now I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to make this change this change just this change a couple of short months later walk back in and get a great win so that 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 really is the gym philosophy in action when when did you first I'll just talk about Connor for a second when did you and, and this is not to the um I don't want to talk about Connor because you just on his own, but I don't know your other fighters, but you've got lots of fighters and, and I appreciate that position. But let's talk about Connor being the best known in Australia, at least fighter of yours. When did you first recognize his ability with promotion and the media and the ability to, the whole swagger, everything about him, you know, like when did you first notice that? When, when the day first come to the gym or did this develop over time? Or, or was it developed and was it something sort of purposefully built? Yeah, so I would I would say to be a world champion, there's you need to have a genetic advantage. That's you. I, I believe world champions are born, and then of course they need to be trained. But I don't think anybody can be a world champion. It kind of bugs me sometimes that that's a, that that's a fact, but I believe it to be. I don't think no matter how much somebody was trained, they're not going to become the 100 meter um, Olympic gold medalist unless they were born with certain genetic advantages. And I think fighting is, is going that way as well. You know, professional sports for me is a combination of skill and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Amateur sports is just about skill. You can be an amateur, you know, you can win the Olympics in gold medal, you know, be a gold medal champion in the Olympics for boxing or javelin or whatever and have zero personality. That's It's not going to affect your sponsorship opportunities or, or whatnot. Whereas for professional sports, it helps if you have the other side and the other side is charisma. And I believe that is an X factor that again, you're just born with. We all knew one or two people throughout our lives that do walk in a room, everybody in the room wants to be around them. How, how that is, I don't know, but it just seems to be. And from a genetic point of view, I could see he had certain advantages early on that he hit very, very hard. I've asked so many boxing trainers, why do some people just hit very, very hard and some don't? And again, because of an engineering background, I feel there should be like a technique I can learn and then I can show it to everybody. But the fact that not every pro boxer can hit very, very hard, you know, we, if we think of real hard hitters throughout the times, you know, Mike Tyson and these guys pop up, but not everybody. So therefore, it must be something that's just a little bit genetic that some people just hit have a wallop. Connor had that. He had an obsessive mindset 
that he would, I would, we would train, you know, for a couple of hours, maybe twice a day. And then all night, I would just get messages about why did you do this? And why did you do that? And what about tomorrow? What are we going to do? So you see, okay, he's a bit of genetics. He's a bit obsessive and he walks into a room and everybody wants to be around him. You put that together and that's, that's going to be somebody that's going to be a star. Hundred percent. Well, because I often say, you, to be successful in business, you must be obsessive. You have to be, even if you don't have a plan. You've got to at least be obsessive, uh, and, and and that could mean you just absolutely love the thing you're doing. It doesn't matter if it's fighting or running a flower store. But I mean, you've got to you've got to absolutely love and be, a, and that thing's got to dominate every every one of your thoughts, twenty four hours a day. From my point of view, otherwise it won't work. You can't be part time at anything, or be successful as a part timer. Or be as successful as, say, someone like Connor or you have become in, as a trainer, unless you're obsessive. You said right early on that you were obsessed with the gym thing and, and, and running your gym and, and the fight game. And, uh, and I, I can just sort of see by looking at you, I know obsessive people. Um, I've been watching obsessive people in business for a long time. I can just get it by, I get it by interacting with you, and, which is actually interesting because uh, one of the great things about COVID is, we have these opportunities to sort of talk like this on Zoom. I would never have got over to Ireland or to uh, Abu Dhabi anywhere to talk to you. So, and I'm, I'm actually getting the sense so I can see it. I can see when you talk. And two obsessive people, a trainer and a fighter, is a pretty good combination. Then you add, a, you add the personality, the skills, your skills as a trainer, his genetic skills and his personality on top of it. That sounds like a pretty good winning formula. Then you overlay it with obsession. Perfect storm, yeah. It's Perfect a pretty good storm, hundred percent. How much of that rubbed off into all the other people within your gym? All your, all your other players. He demands perfection from himself first. He's he's going to be his his own worst critique, and then he'll demand it from everybody around him. So if you're just training in that environment, you're not going to come into you're not going to be into a group class that he's involved in and be half chatting to your training partner about your girlfriend problems or about some movie you're going to see that week. He's, you're not going to, you just going to survive in his world if that's your mindset. So the fact that he emanates that, and, and I, I guess I, I do too a little as well, that permeates the entire gym. So I really feel it gives us a sort of a school of excellence feel that when you show up on that day, you, you better be ready to give, give it your all physically and mentally, you know, you're fully focused on what's happening, whatever drill we're doing. I always used to say, uh, young fighters would ask me, what's the difference between him and others? Why is he getting so good so fast? And one detail, one point I saw him do early on was every single drill we do, he is always in the middle of the octagon with 20,000 screaming people around him and a killer opponent in front of him. And that's on Monday at 11 a.m. in Dublin, running over an underhook takedown that he's done 40,000 times already. But every training session he has is, is very specific. There's no, there's no fat. There's no, at the end of the session, hoping things went well. It's, you know, it's planned. It, and there's that critical feedback loop. He's been for a couple of years now, he's had somebody always there with a video camera. So he'll always rewatch his training session that evening and make sure that he hasn't believed he was doing certain things. He wants to make sure he was doing them so that he has that, that critical feedback loop that he can actually physically see that he was doing what he thought he was doing. Now, the fight's on the 23rd, is that right? 23rd, Jen? What is a, right. So you've got like two weeks or something like that. You're in Abu Dhabi now. He's obviously there. Is he out of quarantine? We had a couple, you have to do a couple of days of quarantine, does it? Or you can go straight to training? Yeah, so we, we'll be going to um, the Fight Island in a couple of days' time, and we've got a 48-hour quarantine or hotel room when we get there. We're getting things rammed up our nose every two days while we're here, so we're, we're about as clean as you can get. Of course, he's got uh, his opponent, Dustin, coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Everybody's saying Dustin's not the same man as he was. How do you prepare? I mean, I, I don't want you to give away the, the home secrets, but I mean, how, how do you prepare for something like this? Like uh, Dustin's, a, he's good on the ground. Connor's, he's fighting up a weight too. He's up at, what, what is it? Uh, we're, we're fighting at lightweight, is it? Lightweight, yeah. yeah. 70, basically 70 kilos. 70 kilos. So fighting at lightweight. So he's sort of up a couple of divisions 
you know, there'd be a lot of people who are jealous, who would be uh, sort of cheering the opposition. As that always happens. I don't know about your country, but certainly in Australia, we we hate anyone who's a winner. Um, we've always got to try. And, not <laughs> um, and the thing that uh, the thing that uh, a friend of mine, who's a guy here called Jordan Sullivan, who's who's, who's Instagram is the fight dietitian, is a well well known fight dietitian in Australia. He looks after a lot of boys like Adesano, those guys. He said to me to ask you this question in the preparation: How do you prepare someone like Connor for no crowd? Because you know he's. The crowd, I would have thought he'd get a lot of energy from the crowd. So does Geordie uh, says the same, gets a lot of energy from the crowd. <laughs> will, will that make a difference to Connor? Or, or is he such a professional that it won't matter? Yeah, we're actually, I've got to be honest, within the team, we're all a little bit excited about this because we're going to be able to hear him the whole time talking to Dustin, which is, which is, <laughs> which is part of his game. Um, you know, if you watch their first fight, you can see it on YouTube. The UFC have it up as a free fight. You can see his mouth moving quite regular, but we had no idea what he was saying. But now we're going to hear everything. Is it a sledge? Uh, Is it a sledge? Like what we call a sledge? Like a sledge, like uh, I was saying, or you don't look all that fit. Like, is he sort of sledging him, sort of making him, trying to bring him down? Or is he just saying, what what is he saying? Like, how does he he deal with these guys? What's he saying? I've heard a few things that like, um, if you watch in the fight, Dustin tries to throw a leg kick and Connor checks it and he goes, what was that? You know, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> or like if you know, if you try to punch and he slips, he'll kind of look and say, Who are you trying to hit? And uh, he, he just he's very he's a master at that. And I think maybe maybe Ozzy's is the same because when he started fighting Americans and he would be so quick at comebacks in um, press conferences, they just looked lost. And I think it's just the different, um, culturally, we're different that in for us. The funny guy at the back of the classroom that had quick answers for the teacher was common. You'd have us all in tears laughing that they would just have this rapid response and, you know, very somewhat dark, sarcastic humor, which is not really prevalent in America, I don't think. Um, But certainly the Aussies and the Irish, we know how to rip the piss out of each other. That's because most of us here in Australia have Irish background one way or the other. Um, and, And it's probably a genetic thing. And, and it's funny because America's very conservative and um, and very polite, very well-mannered, very, very polite, you know, generally speaking. They probably would find it difficult to be able to deal with um, that sort of, um, we, we call it larrikinism here in Australia. Like it's uh, always been a smart ass, you know, like uh, yeah. and sort of taking the piss, you know, pretty much. But no, not in a, a sinister way. We just haven't just fucking around, like just fucking you, you know. Don't, don't shit exactly. yourself. It's yeah. okay. It's all cool. Like, Relax. He's such, a, he's such a nice guy. And he's from a small town and he just looks a little bit lost when, you know, why is anybody talking to me this way? So, but just to quickly answer your question. So very somewhat simple answer is that we've made sure that normally in the, in the gym, when we're sparring, he likes, he likes all that hip hop stuff, that rap music. And that'd be like really loud and you'd hear everybody talking and stuff. Whereas we've had it like a church for his training sessions the last couple of weeks, uh, if not months. And it is eerie. You know, you can really like, you hear the connection. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. ...that you don't normally hear when there's a large crowd or there's music playing. So it, it is going to be fascinating. I've done a few of these fights now uh, over the last six months or so where you're in a, a, an empty arena and it's um, it, it certainly will get you at the start, and I think some fighters really enjoy it. I've I found that they like hearing their opponents starting to breathe a little bit heavily. They like being able to tell them that you know when they hit them it was like I didn't even feel that you know. And then some don't. Some don't react well to it. And I I, I although I haven't 
done it yet with Connor, I know 100%. He's going to love it. He's going to love being able to hear every impact, being able to tell Dustin that things are starting to go bad for him and um, just chipping away at that confidence, you know? And how's he feeling, by Everything's all good. He's, he's feeling good. He feels strong. He, he looks big. He looks, to me, I mean, I've seen him like over the last uh, two months. He looks bigger than I've ever seen him before. Yeah, he's in phenomenal shape. You know, he, he wanted 2020. Uh, it was not the best year for any of us. And he certainly had big plans. He started off with a fantastic win against um, Cerrone. Yeah. And he wanted a couple in during that time. And then, well, we all know what happened. But luckily, he did actually keep a fairly strict training regime for the entire year. So this tra- this training camp, you know, training camp, you normally think six or eight weeks. It's been 12 months long. So, um, yeah, Dustin has really uh, stirred up a hornet's nest. He's, he's facing um, he's facing a different animal altogether. And what about that? What about you guys have a uh, like a face off and all that sort of stuff? I mean, is, is he sort of going to work him over? Um, I Yeah, I. You know what? I, I think if you asked him right now, I think he would honestly say he doesn't know. Like it, it sort of just happens. With the Cerrone fight, everything was super nice until the referee said fight. And then he ran at him like a lunatic and tried to take his head off in the first five seconds. And I think that really, that was a, a, a real big shock to Cerrone because it was quite nice, you know, fight week and press conferences and even the face-offs were quite uh, calm. And then I went from that to, you know, 500 kilometers an hour so i was like I, which i actually think was quite a good tactic you know you get that adrenal dump which which messes up a lot of people and um well the adrenal dumps it's a big deal isn't it the adrenal oh, it's dump. huge you can be the fittest guy in the world but if you can make them really have a, a, a severe you know just that that gland explodes and you've just put everything into the first 60 seconds you just you die if you see the fittest guys in the world and you just have zero energy after a round so um, you've got to be prepared it, for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had, I've experienced it. You've experienced it. No doubt. It's it's pretty fucked. It's scary actually because you go, my God, what's happened? I can't believe my yeah. legs are gone. Yeah, I saw Mark yeah. Hunt, Mark Hunt, the old UFC heavyweight. Remember Mark Hunt, the yeah. UFC heavyweight? I saw him fight. He yeah. he had a boxing fight uh, last two weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, round two, he sort of looked like he had a bit of adrenal uh, fatigue to me because he sort of got a bit buggered at uh, the end of round two. And the guy fought Paul Gallon. Yeah, like, and you could see that that guy had been kind of chipping away at yeah, Mark's totally. emotional state. Uh, way ins, he looked really out of sorts. And I was thinking, how is this guy after making Mark so emotional? You know, Mark, I've, I've seen him compete in K1 and MMA. He's very calm. Um, but this guy, he had figured out a way to get under his skin. And, you know, he he, he won, didn't he? Did he beat Mark? He beat, beat him. He beat, beat Mark. I saw Mark. I spoke to Mark last week because we're pretty good mates. And, uh, I saw he said to me that uh, it's a big chance that um, Paul Gallon, who's a boxer, will agree to fight Mark in an MMA fight as a rematch, which okay. is a pretty brave thing for a boxer to say to a like a guy who's that good at MMA. It's just a couple of kicks from Mark Hunt. Oh, my change. God. He's right in the back of the car. There would be a bit of trouble. Be a bit of trouble. <laughs> I want to quickly turn to – I mean, I, I read something from you where you said that Running a gym is about the people who come back every month, month after month, who've got the money to pay. And it isn't necessarily just about the world champions like Connor, et cetera, who are great to train, great experience for you. But at the same time, it's about the, the local dentist who maybe wants to have his first fight or, or, or at least have something to train for. Um, and that's where Web to Warrior comes in. I think it's a brilliant concept, which, which is why I invested in it. Not just because I think it's a great business concept, but I think it's a a great thing for someone like you as a co-founder to come up with because, you know, 20 weeks training for an event and then actually meeting your fears and actually going into that event, that's in the adrenal dump, the dump, the whole experience for these people is a great thing. Do you want to just talk about the whole philosophy behind why you were a part of the co-founding of that and what it's about, why you love it? Certainly the, the, the stories we're getting back from people that have completed it because there's one thing about a physical transformation. You might, you, you could do a, a 100, you know, basically it's 100 lessons. That's, that's the length of time for a, for a program. And if you do 100 lessons of, um, you know, weightlifting with some adjusted diet, you could get, you could get quite dramatic before and after pictures. And we certainly get them and, and they're always good to throw up on Instagram. They're very visually grabbing, but 
that side of it is probably the least interesting side for me. It's the real growth, internal growth. And, and it's kind of going back to what got me into mixed martial arts in the beginning that I, I was, I was sort of bullied for not terribly, I, like maybe a little bit more than the average going, going through my school life. And then I had a fairly traumatic experience um, outside a bar I told you about, and I, I, I went into mixed martial arts and it, it made me who I am today. No, absolutely no doubt about that. And to be able to do that for tens or hundreds or tens of thousands of people, because that's the stories that really got me very excited and very pumped about this was the, the private messages that would be sent to you saying, I'm after coming out of an abusive relationship or I, I, I'm in a job that I hate or I'm in a rut that I just can't seem to get out of. And they go through this program, which is very, very tough. You know, you're, first of all, the, the early starts and then trying to learn the different skills of mixed martial arts. And then finally, stepping out in front of a crowd and, and having your first contest. It's, it's, it's a big emotional journey in quite a short period of time. And, and that has been what is, has been the real standout for me is to be able to do this the process that took me 10 years really to get through to do that for people in a, in a hundred lessons in a, in a condensed 20 week period is um, amazingly rewarding. I don't know how much longer I'll be involved in the pro scene of mixed martial arts. It's I've, I've really enjoyed it and I still am at the moment, but I can see it definitely has a, a finite uh, amount of time you could be in it because it's, it's quite a brutal industry as well. But the, the, the amateur side of things, I'm president of the Amateur Association in Ireland and being a co-founder of Wimped Warrior and being sort of, we almost feel like we're only kind of beginning the real growth phase of it, the real expansion phase. We've, we are in, um, all, I think, in almost all the continents at this stage, about 70 or 80 gyms. But I think that's going to be seven or 800 gyms by the end of next year, or certainly in the next two years. Because it's it's kind of one of those things is why wouldn't you do it rather than why should you do it? It's, yeah, that, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell for me. Is, you is, is, I mean, personal I mean, like, story. What sort of people are we talking about though that you get in to, to, to join these things? I mean, we we are we talking about women who maybe have gone through a bit of a rough trot with their their ex or whatever the case may be, and they've gone in because they actually want to learn self defense, or we learn, or you're talking about. Uh, the local dentist down the road who's, you know, he's never really done any sport in his life and he's decided, well, I've got to do something I might as well go and learn. Because for me, I, I don't want to train. I don't want to go to the gym and lift weights and shit like that. I mean, I'm, I've done all that before, but like what I'd rather do is if I'm going to the gym, I've got to learn something. I, I've only recently, and I've never done this before, but I started doing some um, stand-up grappling because it's oh, good nice. for boxing. But I've been doing with a guy called Larry Papadopoulos who was an MMA guy here in Australia many, many years ago. He's an older guy. You know him? Yeah. Yeah. I know of him. Yeah, Larry's a good guy, right? He's a good friend of mine. So, you know, and, and what I've noticed is that uh, one of the things for me anyway is that I'm, I'm learning stuff that I had no idea about, you know, and it's a, it gasses me too, by the way. And I can go rounds boxing, but doing this stuff, it gasses me because he's, he's so strong, it's ridiculous. But it, you use different sets of muscles, but I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about my body. I'm learning about uh, where to stand, where to, what you do with your hands, you know, posting, all that sort of stuff, all basic stuff from what, from, you know, for you would be basic. But, but I'm actually finding it quite fascinating. You know, I could choose any sort of sport pretty much if I wanted to and spend any amount of money pretty much if I wanted to, but I choose this and I, because I find it to be the most basic fundamental skill that you should, everyone should know, I think. And it's fitness at the same time and it's fun. And um, and I yeah. I guess are they the sort of clients or and or customers or clientele you're getting? Being in a continuously learning frame of mind is one of the key. They say one of the key components to happiness. That if you can if you have markers that you can see yourself progressing all the time, it's it's without sounding uh, too over the top. It's it's one of the ways to have a fulfilling life and grappling and. You know that what we learned throughout the twenty weeks of the Warrior Trainer Program is, it's so technical that you and and if you compare yourself from when you walked in, if you were to fight the same version of yourself from when you walked in to a hundred lessons later, your first version of yourself is not going to last two minutes with mm. the new version because you basically learn magic. <laughs> you learn. I'm sure you felt it the first time you you know you tried to grapple with Larry and you go ah I've watched seen on TV it doesn't look that doesn't look that bad and then suddenly you just get flipped all over the place oh my god so. it was scary it was scary it was scary like you're like whoa and uh he threw me on the floor and like like he just 
it just threw me on the floor. Like uh, I was from the standing up position. Like oh, I couldn't believe it. Like oh my god. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's even it's even worse if your first experience is going into the gym and it's a tiny guy, or even real worse if it's a tiny girl and you're just getting tied up in knots and getting, you know, like I said, it just feels like this person knows magic that you don't know and. But it's, it's learnable and you, you, you start on this journey. And, and that's another thing I like about the program is that you get a, you get a group of people starting together. If you go to a regular MMA gym, you know, you're, you're just a beginner on that night. It's kind of hard to make connections with people. And maybe that person is a few months ahead of you and, and so on. Whereas this is like 30, 40, I have up to 70 people starting my seasons. And this group of people, they become, it's almost like a platoon, you know, it become like band of brothers that... They, they, they go on this journey together we create these WhatsApp groups and everybody's looking out for everybody. And if you miss a session, it's, Hey, where was Mark today? And you get a couple of messages. So they, they kind of encourage each other along to make sure that they, they don't miss anything and that they complete it. But sort of the two, the two types of people you said there, um, you have people who are doing it for say what they believe to be learned how to, so as to learn self-defense. That's why I thought I was doing it. What I was actually doing was trying to learn self-confidence. And that's, that's for me, that's probably the most exciting part is that you get someone at the end of it, their shoulders are back a little bit more. They've lost a couple of kilos. They stand a bit taller. They're able to ask their boss for a raise. They're able to ask that girl for a phone number. They just, they have that, the big, maybe they're not the whole way there yet, but they, they're starting to get confidence that they've never had in their lives. And they're the ones that start getting freaking tattoos of her logo on their arms and they're, they're sending me these essays in, in private messages it's actually it's gonna be a little bit overwhelming at the start because i kind of got lost down the professional side of my sport for over a decade and i almost forgot what it was like to have a group of like raw beginners in their 20s 30s 40s sometimes 50s and 60s and when i started running the seasons in dublin and experiencing that again it really reminded me of myself when i was 18 and and what i got out of it and it you know again not being over dramatic but it's, it really changed my life and and, and gave me a, a purposeful happy life that i still feel i'm in that learning mindset I'm, I'm i'm every day on the mat i just came from a training session with connor there he's two weeks out from you know a huge fight everything he does seems to be huge and we were playing around with like a new move on the mat. You know, that's, I, I'm, I'm doing it a long time. He's doing it a long time. And it just gives you this kind of grin. You're like two kids on a playground, you know, discovering something. So you kind of put all those, all those together. And I, I remember someone told me uh, a long time ago that he made the point that fighting is very important because if you go back a long enough time, a couple of thousand years, there was two guys that were very important to each tribe. And that was the best fighter and the fastest guy. So the fastest guy could go and deliver a message to a nearby place. And then the best fighter was your warrior you could put forward. And if you look today, like we all love to watch the 100 meter sprint and we all want to know who the baddest guy on the planet is. And it's, it's, so it's something in our psyche that's an important thing to know. It's important for, for you to be able to have some level of understanding of, you know, it's a somewhat primal part of our brain, this, 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 the, the fighting side of it. And have a control over it, understand it, control it. It even makes, it sounds almost silly to say, but I'm sure you've been in some sort of tense negotiations. And there's there's a weird part of your brain that kind of goes, I wonder, could I take this guy? <laughs> you know, if, yeah, if, things got, if things got hairy enough. And when I was doing the door, when I was doing security, they would say to me, because I'm, 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 I'm small, I'm like one meter 75, 70 kilos. And I'd be talking to these massive guys and I, I'd have a, a, maybe a sort of an air of calmness about me. And they'd kind of afterwards say, do you train something? Because how are you not starting to get like adrenaline, any signs of adrenaline? And I was like, well, to be honest, the, the verbal side of the argument is the toughest part for me. If you swing at me, the physical side will be over in seconds. That will be very easy for me. And that would kind of make them be a little bit nervous. And, and I've even found that is that is held with me over the last while when i'm talking to somebody i'm like well if things go bad here it's not going to go bad for me <laughs> <laughs> well and that 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 self-confidence what, what i think is really important here for our listeners what's important is that and i say this to a lot of people if you've experienced as you have and i have experienced something that was very good for your life so in your case you experienced the self-confidence as a result of learning how to wrestle and, and, and or do, just learning how to fight, do MMA. You, you, you build self-confidence as a result of that. 
and I learned from some other people and you learned from somebody taught you, you had a great teacher. And uh, I had a great teacher in business. I had a very famous Australian guy taught me in business. And, you know, as a result of that, he and I did some great things on a, on a big, in a big sense. And he taught me a lot of things. And as a result of that, I feel as though I'm obliged to pay that experience forward and or get people like yourself to share your experiences with my audience so that they can learn from the best, say someone like you, and or other guests I have on. What you're doing in your business, you're paying forward. You're paying forward self-confidence to those people who probably don't have self-confidence. And that's, to me, I think, to me, that's the, the greatest measure of success as a businessman or a businesswoman. If you are ultimately in the position to pay forward the very thing that you got out of the business in the first place. And that's what you're doing, whether it's a wimp to worry, whether it's helping out your, you know, your elite fighters, mucking around with Connor two weeks out of a fight trying to learn a new move just stuffing around with him that's to me that's the definition of a, of a successful business person and for me it's not about the money I mean it's great making money don't get me wrong but that's important but it's about being able to pay forward and have and have that understanding that you have got something and you can pay forward and that that's something yeah. you've got yeah, you're spot on there, and 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 like you said, money solves money problems, but it does it won't fix anything else other than that. It's up to you to fix the other stuff, and that's what I've gotten from 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 my journey with mixed martial arts, and that's what this new vehicle that now I'm becoming, I'm starting to become obsessive about about Winter Warrior and about trying to share that with as many people as possible because I I know I don't, it's not a guess. I've just I've done it for so long now, and I've done it with so many hundreds, if not thousands, thousands and thousands of people. And I've seen where it's brought them after a specific length of time training um, emotionally. And yeah, it's, 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 it's hard sometimes for me to put this into words. It's, it's more like a feeling. And like I said, I've just had so many people come up to me at the end of now that we have it in a very structured manner before it was just like, okay, we'll just join the MMA gym and Day one, you might be sparring and day two, you're doing whatever. And then most would drop off after a couple of weeks. The training was just a little bit unstructured and there was no real, I, not, not that I'm a fan of goals. I'm actually quite against goals, but there was no real end to it. Whereas now it's a very structured hundred lesson course and you're going to learn this. And at the end of it, you have a challenge and you'll see physical changes. You'll, you'll feel the personality changes. It's, it's that that's going to keep me going for the next couple of decades. That's that's what I want to really throw myself in. And like you said, the more people I've come up to me at the end of it saying, you know, I don't want to say at the start, but I joined this because I was bullied in school or being bullied in work. I've been bullied in my relationship. And now I feel a little bit more self-confidence, the ability to stand up for myself, to say if I'm not feeling comfortable in situations and, and be comfortable walking away from certain toxic people. That That's incredibly rewarding to me. Sort of rewarding for me just to be able to sit here and listen to like you're a bright person, you're a smart guy. I mean, you know, you're and and, I, and, and your fighters take, for example, someone like Connor. He like attracts like, I think. So he's a smart guy. He's a fighter. He's a smart guy. Don't give me. He is a very very intelligent guy. I know Alex Volkanovsky. They look at him. He's not great on the gab, but he's a smart guy. I mean, I've spoken to him many many times. He's he's onto it. He knows it. You know, when you can surround, you have a, a business life like you've got and surround yourself with intelligent people who know what they're doing, who are passionate about what they're doing, and you can sort of smile to yourself about their obsession. For me, when you get involved in those environments, like I'm talking to you now and you do every day with Connor, you know that you're sort of fulfilled something in your, you know, your business life. You're fulfilling because, you know, like sometimes business can become really dull. You know, you can, you're going to doing the same thing every day, turn up every day, doing the same shit every day, wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, Jimmy Cricket starts scratching his legs over your head and you think, fuck, you know, what am I going to do this? I've got to fix this. I've got to sort that. I've got the taxation department chasing, whatever it might be. There's always some shit going on. There's always something going down. And everybody's listening. I want you to know this, you know, like I'm sitting here talking to John Kavanaugh, our lives are not perfect. There's always some shit going down. There's always something we're dealing with. There's always a bushfire. There's always something going on. But the thing that always drags us back into our, into what we're doing, it keeps us going. It gives us, keeps us, that's our purpose, the reason why we're there in the first place. And it's having the ability then to interact with intelligent people, people who are passionate, people who are obsessed, and being able to smile at watching them go through the very things that you've all, we've all gone through. That's the stuff that I think our listeners, your listeners, um, and, and my listeners, 
just what I want to say to them. John, John Kavanagh does this sort of thing all the time. And he the thing that keeps him going is just the little wins, the little small wins. Watching someone come out of it feeling good. Watching, um, it's not the, you know, the money they pay you. It's just watching the little things. You, you'll pick it up. John Kavanagh will pick up. You'll see somebody the other day who you know, thought when they first walked into the Whip to Warrior program, you thought maybe they won't make it. They're probably going to tap out of this because it's going to be too difficult for them. Then you see them after week you know, 12, 13, still there. Those, you, that'll just ring a little bell for you. They're the little wins. They're the little wins that keep folks like us going. Or Otherwise, you might as well just give it away. Because yeah. it becomes boring. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, it's, it's somewhat why I'm against um, goal setting. I prefer having a system to feel like I won every day. I always use the example that if, if, if you have a goal to maybe lose five kilos and you give yourself six months to do it, kind of every day that you haven't hit that target on the weighing scales, you have a bit of a losing mindset. And then after six months, you and you you step on the scales and you've made the weight. Okay, you you have a winning feeling about you, a winning mindset that one day. But it took you six months six months to get it. Whereas if I have more a daily approach, that today I taught a class earlier on before I come on here, and I can tell you right now is the best damn class I've ever taught. And tomorrow's class is going to be just as good. I have certain goals I want to hit today with getting a twenty minute workout in, and there's certain meal that I want to have this evening. I'll go to bed feeling like a winner because I'm going to achieve all of that today. So I'm, I'm in a daily, I'm every day feeling like a winner. I feel every day that I've made, I've hit certain goals. If you want, if you want to use that word, I know people love the idea of goals. So I'll use that word. Whereas I find that takes care of my future. If I'm doing that every hour and every, every minute, every hour, the days start to form a certain shape. And then my future self, I kind of use the analogy like in a back to the future He's playing the guitar and he sees the picture of himself starting to form that that future self, whether that's somebody training another couple of world champions or that person, you know, the, the, the winter warrior has gone absolutely nuts. And it's it's in every gym in the world. Um, have another few kids, whatever that whatever that is, it will take care of itself because I'm in a winning mindset every every hour of every day. And when I'm in that frame of mind, things start happening much, much much more easy, much easier. Can I ask you one quick final question, Blake, on, on that? Because that's an important thing. Some people say, oh, well, that's easy for him. But is it fair to say, you know, I do this, I actually look for the win, even if it, I don't care whether it's negligible. I'm looking, whether it's every hour of recovery, so I'm looking for the win. I could easily just go, oh, what a shit day. But I'm, I'm always looking, what, have I, what did I, like you just said, I had a good meal. I ate well at lunch. My lunch was healthy. That's a win. Simple. Yeah, the math speeches I have with the guys about you reaching for the bottle of water over the can of Coke, that's a win. Well done. You, 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 you achieve something today. Don't, don't lose yourself and like, okay, well, six months from now, I want to look like this Instagram person. Like, forget that. Win your next meal. Like you said, you're going to sit down and you're going to take it a little bit easier on the fries and you're going to have just a little bit more vegetables. You're going to you're going to push the can of Coke aside and have a bottle of water. You're going to get up an hour earlier than you normally do. You're going to maybe show gratitude to two people that you bump into that day. You're going to go to bed a little bit earlier than you normally do. All, all of these things are very achievable. They're not, it's not expensive. You don't, need, you don't need anything to do it. You can follow free work. You can do a 20-minute workout on your phone, stick it up there, and go on to 20-minute workout on YouTube. And there's another win. And when you start getting into that mindset, you say that's what there's no difference between a lucky person and an unlucky person. A lucky person just spots opportunities that an unlucky person will will walk past. And you get yourself into that mind frame of always seeing the opportunity for wins. And every day you're getting these small wins, small wins, bang, suddenly something comes along and there's a big win there. So you focus on those those hourly ones, the yearly ones will look after themselves. And, and in your gym and with your charges, say something like Connor, is it your role to actually always bring them back into that position, always remind them of the little wins that they're making as well, and to your staff and everybody in your business? You're the boss. You're the leader. You're the owner. Are you, are you doing that with everybody else? Yeah, that, that's that, – that, that, like you said, um, you know, that, that, that's your role as the, as the person who's kind of 
opening up the door to gym is that if I can have that attitude, if I can lead with example, you know, lead by example in, in that, that's going to permeate through the staff and my, and my assistant coaches and, you know, hopefully onto the fight team and, and everybody that that's in the gym. And, you know, you want to be, I never wanted to own a gym where I'm walking through and there's, there's full of freaking dickheads and, you know, there's, people posing in front of mirrors and, and people snarling at each other. I wanted to go through somewhere where it was people were smiling, happy. Like I'm involved in the government process of getting my sport recognized. And anytime I'm, I'm speaking to, um, I'll use your term, poly, uh, you call it a politician, poly, right? Anytime I'm speaking to a poly, I say, look, don't even tell me, because they would, they would still make the argument, you know, your sport is for, you know, thugs that just want to yeah. fight all the time. I say, look, don't even tell me when you're going to drop by. Just drop by my gym at any time of the day, any day of the week. And I've had a few take me up on the offer. And they always say the same thing, that they're surprised at the array of different people, whether it's a six-year-old doing a, you know, a kid's jiu-jitsu class or it's a 55-year-old woman doing some work on the pads. But when they look across the mat, um, a bunch of smiling people, people happy, people learning, people trying to improve themselves, you know, I kind of make half the joke that not everybody's interested in running around the field after a ball, which seems to be, uh, you know, what most sports are somewhat revolving around. And this was this is what was for me because my dad was a crazy football fan and I just had no interest in it. And I sort of found other kind of oddish people in martial arts that seems to attract us somewhat. And and that's what you're going to see. I, I, I don't even know. I've never been in Eugene's gym. I'm sure you could rattle off a few gyms in Australia as well. I've never been in, uh, but I can almost guarantee you walk in any of those places and you're just going to see content people, happy people and people who are dying to show you. And that's what's, that's what's really um, special about the Winter Warrior program is that the more gyms we can get this in and kind of create that global community, because we all know that mixed martial arts is the best kept secret in the, in the fitness and health industry. It absolutely is. Someone that's gone to a gym for a couple of years and gets on the treadmill three times a week, I, first, I admire them for that. I can never do it. But when they start coming in and into a learning environment of mixed martial arts and, and they see the, the, the joy, someone like I've I had an actually funny experience only a couple of months ago that Connor showed up on a Saturday morning and there was five or six guys there just on the edge of the mat getting ready for a beginning, a day one beginner boxing class to begin. And Connor walked on and said, um, what, what, what are you doing? And he said, oh, so-and-so is taking us for boxing. And he goes, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. And there was five or six people that just <laughs> froze, you know. <laughs> and he, he takes like an hour and a half class, like showing a bunch of guys in their 30s and 40s that had never, never made a fist in their life, like how to stand the correct way, where to put their hands. This is a man that has enough, he could be off on a jet somewhere, off living on an island, but we all have this in us that we want to pass, we want to pass it on, like you said. And we get such joy. And I just watched from the top, just looking down at Connor and this big ear to ear grin that someone finally threw, you know, a correct one too. And, uh, you know, chatting to him afterwards. And we, we, we all got that big kick. And that's why we want to give that to so many more people and give gyms, martial arts gyms that, Maybe you're not great at marketing themselves. I certainly wasn't good at it for a long time. So is that the, the average person, I'll, I'll use the quotes, the average person sees mixed martial arts as a, as a vehicle that they can use. It's not, don't be thinking like, well, I'll, I'll go to the gym for a year or two and then I'll try it. You know, I'll get fit first and then I'll try it because you never will. You will get fit through this. Join up, give it a go. It, it, it really will, again, not being overdramatic, it really will change your life. You'll have a physical transformation, more importantly, a mental transformation, being around the type of people that do this. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, what, what you're doing is, and probably more importantly, the way you're evangelizing it is uh, because it's, it's real. Like, you know, you, you're someone who can really talk about it. I mean, you've, you've done it all. <laughs> the way you're evangelizing the, not, not the business, but the evangelizing the outcomes for the people who participate in coming along to the gym and trying out the process, whether it's Winter Warrior or anything similar, it, it's fantastic. Um, I, I really appreciate John Kavanagh's time in, um, I guess you're in Abu Dhabi, are you? You're in Abu uh, Dubai. Dubai, you're in Dubai now. Prior off, before you go off to um, um, uh, Fight Island, you know, with, with Conor McGregor, probably one of the greatest or the best known 
UFC MMA fighters and you've taken the time to sit down and talk to me, mate. I, I, I've, I've been fascinated with the conversation. I can't wait for Ireland to let Australians go back to go back to Ireland and have a look. I'm going to come to your gym. I'm going to make sure you're there. I'm going to email you. I want to hang out with you. And, uh, and and maybe by that time, I don't know enough about it. have the same passion um, sense as well. Sorry? We yeah, same, yeah, we have. Exactly. Same well, basic, basic black. <laughs> <laughs> if it's fucking black, I wear it because I don't have to worry. I just, I've got 10 of these bloody things. I wear them every day, one every day. Everyone probably thinks <laughs> I, don't, I don't wash them, what I do. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I really appreciate your time. And by the way, I don't know if it's good to say, it's cool to say good luck for the – but I wish everyone all the very best for the 23rd. And, uh, and, and um, you know, I don't know Quantum McGregor, pass on my regards to him and everyone here in Australia would be all rooting for him. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. All the best, Talk soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 